And God, what would we do if it were not for your love that is without end? Because we don't know such love apart from you. Uh, we can't give such love apart from you. Because God, the first time we're hurt, the first time we're not loved back, the first time that someone doesn't meet our expectations, our love all too easily ceases. And yet, God, with you, it's unending. And it's not because of anything within us. It's not because of anything that we've done, but it's because of everything you've done. And it's because of everything that's in Christ. Because you're fully pleased in him and you have poured out your love on him. And because your love is on him and and we've placed our trust in Christ, God, it overflows to us. And you'll never stop loving the son. And so you never stop loving us. God, unending love. Would you grow us deeper in our understanding of that? Let it change us as it should. God, I thank you for our opportunity to gather here. I thank you for our opportunity to worship a God who, who is altogether worthy, altogether different. God, would we not take that for granite? Would we not be uh, lazy or apathetic in what we bring to worship you, but instead would we would be people that bring our all? All of our voice, whether it's very little or not, whether it's good or not, all of our heart, whether it's full or empty, all of our energy, whether we're weak or full of energy, God, would you help us to bring all of ourselves to offer before you. You alone are worthy. God, we thank you for your great provision for us and pray that you will uh, continue to uh, provide for each of the families here. Bless, protect them, God. I pray for those who are sowing wheat these next few weeks that you would keep them safe and help them to uh, finish their task and then God begins the the walk of faith as we trust you for rain and, and your provision. And now, God, would you let your spirit continue to guide us as we worship, this time as we open up the scripture. Would you show us who you are? And as if looking in a mirror, would you show us who we are in light of who you are and change us because we encounter you? I pray in Christ's name, amen. You can be seated. Well, we're going to uh, continue our um, series here that we're in for the next few weeks as we're looking at who we are as a church. So if you are visiting with us, uh, this is a great time to be visiting because we're talking about what's important to us as a church, what makes Houston Church uh, who who we are and what kind of sets us apart. And uh, the last three weeks and then today, we've been looking at core values. What are those things that that we have identified are are most important to us? It doesn't mean they're the only things important to us, but it means that these are the things that are most important to us and they shape who we are. And, and, and if we get in a tight spot, if we get in a corner, if the pressure starts building on, these are the things that we stand on uncompromisingly. These are the things that drive us as we make decisions, as we, as we steer certain directions or, or whatever it is that we're doing. These are the things that we're saying make us tick. And so our core values. And uh, the first week we looked at the Bible. The Bible's important to us. Second week, grace. Last week, relationship. Today, it's growth. Today it's growth. Now, let me uh, ask you to, to kind of remember your home growing up, or, or some of you, maybe it's the, the current home you're growing up in. Um, I, if you're like me, somewhere in that home, you had a closet or a wall or a door jam where you had notches drawn in pencil, you know, three foot, three foot, four inches, 
And then you probably had like a year or the date and the year next to it, right? Um, March 14th, 1986, four feet. You know, whatever the case may be. And what you're doing is what? You're, you're tracking your kid's growth, aren't you? And, and, and each year you're doing that because, because you're seeing how, how much has your kid grown. And, and, and that's important to you. And that's why you, you track that. Now, I don't know how you handle your dilemma when you've got to move, if it's attached. Some people I've heard take the door. Some people take that part of the door jam and replace it. Uh, I know some, some people now, they're just building their own separate, separate ruler that they hang on the wall, and that's what they're doing. But whatever it is, uh, most of you probably had something like that. Or as a parent, you're doing something like that because growth is important. In fact, every time your, your kids go to the doctor, what's, what's one of the two things they have them do first? They go and they step on the scale, see how much they weigh, and then what do they do? They stand up against the wall, see how much they grow. Because growth is important. And they know that, and they're tracking growth. And so when we say growth is important to us, it doesn't mean are we growing taller as a church, are we starting to weigh more as a church, no. Uh, we're, we're saying growth is important to us, and what we're going to see this morning is two things. One, Growth means going deep. Growth means going deep. It means, it means growing deeper in our relationship with the Lord. And then two, growth means going wide. It means extending our reach. So look with me if you'll turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 28. If you need a Bible, there should be a few on the chairs in front of you. Matthew, chapter 28. Matthew is your first book in the New Testament. So if you kind of go toward the back of the Bible, you'll have your first four books, which are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the books that we call the Gospels. They tell us about Jesus. Matthew's that first one, and then you're going to the very end of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28. Now, if you've been around the church any period of time or, or you've, you've grown up in the church, this is going to be some familiar verses to you. Um, so let's look at Matthew 28, and we're going to be in verses 18 through 20. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And I do have those on the slides as well. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Then Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the ages. So it's the passage known as the Great Commission. The Great Commission. It's where Jesus comes at the end of his life. He's already died. He's already been crucified. He's already uh, raised from the dead. And he started to reveal himself to a few people. And at this point, he's revealing himself to those who have walked closely with him. And he says to them, I want you to go. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So when we say growth is important, the first thing that we mean uh, about growth being important, and you may have heard me say this over the last few weeks, is that it means followers become fishers. Growth means followers become fishers. You see, Jesus had walked with these guys for the last three years or so, and, and these people have followed him. We call them the disciples. They're, they're later known as the apostles, uh, but they walked with Jesus. They followed Jesus, and along the way, Jesus showed them how to live, he showed them how to treat others. He, he performed many miracles among them, and he taught them about the kingdom, about who he was, about God's plan. Growth includes followers becoming fishers. Jesus started out his, his invitation to uh, some of these uh, followers by saying, come and follow me, and I will make you into fishers of men. 
And that's what he's doing at this point as we read Matthew 28. As he's, he's now appearing to his closest followers and he's saying, okay, now it's that time. It's that time that you now become a fisher. And he says that by saying, go. Go. And this would have been altogether different for the Jewish people because God's plan was always that, that his, his word and his love would reach other people. But what he did with the nation of Israel was he had this plan where he had set up this nation, given them a law, given them the, uh, a code to live by, given them a land to live in, and he told his people Israel, hey, live in the land, obey my, my word, my law, and as you do that, I'm going to bless you. And all the people of the other nations, they're going to see this unique relationship that you have with the Lord, and they're going to be drawn to the Lord because of that. It doesn't mean that as they, as they would travel, they weren't supposed to talk about their Lord, but God's plan was more, hey, you're a nation and you're a light. So be a light and let people see you as you shine and let that grow, uh, uh, draw people to you. But now Jesus is saying to them, go. Go and make disciples. This is a different command for his followers now. Whereas they were used to staying in a certain place, Jesus says, now you've got to go. You've got to get out of Jerusalem. You've got to get out of your comfort zone. You've got to get out of your neighborhood, your boundaries, whatever the case may be. Go. Now, now going doesn't necessarily mean that we go to a foreign country and be missions. That doesn't, that doesn't mean if you don't become a foreign missionary, you're not fulfilling the go part of the Great Commission. Going means seeing yourself as a fisher. Going means seeing yourself as someone who has been following Christ and who now becomes a fisher. And, and what does that look like? That, that could mean going to your, your workplace. That could mean going to your neighborhoods. That could mean going to the people you play sports with. It means getting outside your comfort zone because you see yourself as a fisher. And, 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 and for you to do that is for you to grow. For me to do that is for me to grow. Because as I, as I grow in understanding that I'm a, I'm a fisher of people, that, that Christ wants to make me into a fisher of people, I'm going to be growing, and I'm growing deeper. I'm maturing in my, in my faith. I'm maturing in my walk, and there's a season for us just to follow, and then there's a season for us to fish. But if a follower never becomes a fisher, that follower has stopped growing. That follower is stunted in their growth. It'd be like marking, marking your kid's growth, and one year they just stop growing. Their growth has been stunted. If you never become a, a fisher, then your growth as a follower has been stunted. And, and we talk about this great commission. Unfortunately, what's happened, though, is instead of it being the great commission, this great um, commandment to go, we treat it like the great suggestion. We, we treat it as, oh, that's for some people. Some people can do that, but that's not for me. And, and maybe some of that, maybe the reason that many of us don't become fishers, maybe it's because of the church. Maybe it's, it's because of a bad pastor. Maybe it's because of, of, a, of a bad church. Maybe it's because of misguided people. But, uh, but I would be willing to bet that the, some of the reason we're not fishers or some of the reasons why we don't fish is maybe because we were taught growing up in the church that this is just what you do. It's your duty as a Christian. If you're, if you're a Christian, you call yourself a Christian, you just do it. And so what, what's happened is this great commission to go has been equated with it's your duty. But it's been detached from desire. And who wants to do duty? without desire. And that's not, that's not at all what God does, well, uh, intended here was just go and do your duty, but we do that. And, and we do that with spiritual disciplines as well, right? Where, where we tell people, well, you're a Christian now, well, now you're just supposed to read your Bible. 
well, go and pray. Uh, spend 30 minutes in the morning doing your quiet time. And what we do, uh, maybe intentionally, maybe not, is what we do is we start getting people focused on doing a duty, but we detach it from a desire. And so the very God that they're supposed to be growing in their relationship with and, and, and doing this out of their desire for him, instead they're doing it out of a duty and they feel um, just disconnected. They feel empty. Reading their Bible has, has no meaning for them. Why am, I, why am I reading this? What's the purpose? But somebody over the years, maybe a church, maybe a pastor, just said, you're just supposed to do it. And they shame us into doing it out of duty. But they never encourage us to grow in our desire. You see, being a fisherman is supposed to grow out of our desire. It's supposed to be something just like God has modeled where his love for the Son, for Christ, overflows and that's why he sent him. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his love. He actually acts on his love. Jesus, at the end of his life, he's praying to, to God the Father in John 17, and he says, the same love that you've always had for me. God has always loved the Son. And because God's love could not be contained, it overflowed, and that's what, what drove him to then send the Son. But we don't do that when we think about fishing or when we think about sharing our faith. Instead, we say, well, it's our duty. And so most of us don't do it, and then we just feel shamed when we come to church and we didn't do it. That's not at all what it's supposed to be about. I mean, think about, think about the things you enjoy. Think about the things that you spend time doing and then you go back and you tell someone about. Fishing trip, hunting trip, movie you saw, restaurants you ate at. You, you had a good meal, you had a good experience, you had an exciting time. Most of us don't have any problem telling people about those times. In fact, it just flows out of us. We can't help but tell people about that restaurant and how good it is. We can't help but tell people about that movie and how it impacted us or the adventure that we just went on. There's desire, there's passion there. We're not just sharing that with people because, oh, I'm supposed to, I went and I saw this movie, I'm supposed to tell you about it. Um, by the way, this movie was really good. I think you should go see it. Would you go see that? I wouldn't go see that. But we do that. We do that as fishers because we've, we've equated it with it's just a duty and we've disconnected it from a desire. But growth means go and make disciples. Go. And going should be done out of an overflow of a passion and a desire born out of a relationship. And the, the more you follow Jesus, the, the, the longer you do that, the more that desire and that passion should grow. Go means get outside of your comfort zones. Go means see yourself as a fisher of people. Because growth means followers become fishers. We go deeper. We grow deeper. It's about maturing. Uh, but, but growth is, is not just about going deeper. It's also about going wider. And, and so as we go on and, and we read in Matthew chapter 19, I'm sorry, Matthew 28 verse 19, he says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Make disciples of all nations. Growth also means seeing God save people. So growth means numerical growth. And now as I say that, some of your flags just went up. Some of you have these warning antenna. Pastor just said growing in numbers. He's talking about numbers now. He's talking about numbers now. And that has a bad connotation to some. And it should because you've been abused or you've seen it, seen it uh, uh, abused. But Jesus says go and make disciples. Do you know what has to happen first? Before you can, uh, before a disciple becomes a disciple, you know what, what, what the first step of that is? 
They have to believe the gospel. The first step in making a disciple is believing the gospel. It's believing in Jesus. Evangelization is the first step in the process of discipleship. You cannot have a disciple who's growing, and as Jesus is going to say in a minute, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. You can't have that if they didn't somewhere start with believing the gospel. And so growth, growth means seeing God save people. Now, I don't know how that hits you. Because, see, there have been churches and there are churches and maybe you've been in churches where all growth means is the pastor is trying to build a kingdom for himself. He just wants a bunch of people following him so that he can become popular. And certainly that's out there. Or or maybe growth for you means uh, when that church started growing, they started compromising. They started settling on some of their beliefs. They no longer, they no longer held to some of their beliefs or they softened on some of those, those key doctrines and then they're just accepting people. Maybe, maybe you're a person who, when you see growth taking place, you automatically have a skepticism about that place that's grown. They've got to be doing something that's compromising because they don't grow like that. People don't grow. Churches don't grow. Organizations don't grow like that. Unless someone's either building a kingdom for themselves or someone is compromising on their beliefs. Growth. But did you, did you see what it says here? Go and make disciples of all nations. If the process of discipleship starts with evangelizing and sharing the gospel and someone believing the gospel, what happens? You get new people coming to your church because new people are believing the gospel. And that's the kind of growth we want to see. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but that's the kind of growth I want to see is I want to see people believing the gospel and getting saved and then because they're getting saved, they're trying to find a place to plug in. And if that's the kind of growth that, that we experience at Houston, that's what's important to us. We're not interested in sheep stealing. That's a lot of times what the growth is at a lot of churches. We're not interested in that. If, if someone has a good church and they're plugged in, we're not interested in persuading them to come to our church because we've got something better. Not at all. I'd rather them stay at that church, plug in, and help make that church better or, or do whatever it is that God has gifted them to do at that church. We're not interested in sheep stealing. Now, if a person is going to a church and that church is going downhill or they, it's time for them to move, I'm not going to argue with that. But it's important for you to know that when we say growth, we're not being driven by the numbers so that we're going to steal sheep because we're in this together with First Baptist El Reno. We're in this together with First Christian Church. We're in this together with First United Methodist Church. We're in this together with all the different churches in town. We're not in competition. Now, if those churches are teaching bad doctrine, and someone realizes that, or we have an opportunity to point that out, absolutely we're going to do that. Of course, they're going to say the same thing on Sunday morning about us too. You get that, right? It's just so complex and complicated. We're not interested in growing because we're sheep stealing. We're interested in seeing God save people. And Jesus says, go and make disciples. And in order for disciples to be made, the gospel has to be shared. Now, this morning in my Sunday school class, uh, we were talking about how the church can partner up with us as we go fishing. And uh, one of the things we were talking about was removing some of those unnecessary barriers uh, that we as a church put up, maybe the way we speak, the way we treat people. You know, last week we talked about relationship and that Jesus said, if, if, if you treat one another, if you love one another, people are going to know you're my followers by the way you love one another. Our goal is that if people come and visit here, especially if they're, they're not yet believers or they're unchurched, they haven't been around for a while, or they're, they're just getting back into it, we want them to see us treating people, each other, the way that Christ loves. And, and see that and then be drawn into it and go, wow, they, loved, they love each other so well. 
And so that's one of those barriers that, that we can unnecessarily uh, put up because we treat one another with contempt, with jealousy, with anger, and we, we, we are not showing the love of Christ in any way. Another way that we can break down those barriers is by the way we talk. I, I mean, I don't know if you've thought about this in a while. If you've been in the church for a while or you grew up in the church, then you know how to speak church. You know how to act church. And you don't even realize it. And, and we don't even think about people who have not been in the church for a while and, or people who have been turned off from the church and they're coming back and they walk in the door and then we treat them like they're supposed to know everything we know because we grew up in the church. But that's not the case. And, and some of that can be brought down by the way we speak. So, for instance, you know, to assume that someone's supposed to bring their Bible. If you didn't grow up in the church or, or you've been out of church for a while, why would we assume someone knows to bring their Bible? And really, even today, if, if I were to take a poll, most of you probably don't have a hard Bible. You use your phone or your iPad, and that's okay too. But we assume, hey, you don't have your Bible? Well, you should have your Bible. You don't know where the book of Habakkuk is in the Old Testament? You should know where the book of Habakkuk is in the Old Testament. We make these assumptions, and, and people don't, don't necessarily know where it is, and so what happens is walls go up, they feel shamed, they're out, and that was unnecessary. We can prevent that. And so as a church, one of the things we try to do uh, as a staff and as a team, and then what we want you to try to do too, if you call Houston home, is help us to remove some of those unnecessary barriers. So that as people are going fishing and they are bringing people to church, when they get to church, they don't have to go, oh, I'm sorry I invited you. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry he said that. Oh, I'm sorry they looked at you that way. And those things are unnecessary. Instead, if we can put on our eyes and, and, and think about what it was like to be a fish, what it was like to, to go visit a church for the first time, what it was like to walk into a business or an organization that we're not familiar with, and all of a sudden they treat us like we're stupid because we don't know what they're talking about. Anyone been there? I've been there, where they just start talking to you on the phone or you're trying to get tech help and they're saying, you've got to do this and this and this and this, and you're going, what's that? You know, because they're talking over your head because they deal with it every day. It's their world and then they treat you and expect you to know it just as well as they do. We do that in the church. We speak Christianese, we act like church people, and then we hold people who have not been in the church for years or who are just coming back accountable for those things that, you know, praise God they don't know some of those things. You know, because then they shake us up from being, being too rigid as church people, right? And they, they, they shake us up from being, uh, taking ourselves too seriously. But part of growing means growing in numbers. And if God is saving people, we want to see that type of growth here at Houston. Here's what this does not mean. It does not mean everyone just goes and invites a friend and then now pastor, it's your job. That's not it. Now, we, we, you, you should expect that as they come to church, they should be hearing the gospel at some point in a classroom, in a small group, from the pulpit. But too often what happens is we just say, I'm gonna get you to church and then pastor, if you don't do it, on you. Do you realize only 7% of people get saved from the gospel being presented in the pulpit? That is the least effective way for people to get saved by a study done. What's more effective is relationship. It's more, what's more effective is people who are in relationship over a sustained amount of time, showing, living out their beliefs, sharing the gospel, and them seeing it. And, and that is oftentimes where we see people getting saved. Not very often because the pastor shared the gospel. If you expect the church staff to just go out and win everybody over, it ain't gonna happen. Because we are just a few people with personalities, with quirks, 
with styles, with backgrounds, and we can't meet and, and reach everyone. We can reach a certain amount of people, maybe who share our backgrounds, who, who like our personalities or don't think we're too annoying, you know, and they'll listen to us. But think about this. If everyone who was a follower of Christ goes fishing, think about all the different personalities, all the different backgrounds. Some of you, in fact, most of you will reach people that I could never reach. Most of you will open, will get in doors that are open that I could never walk in or any other of our staff members could ever walk in. Because you know what happens, right? And this has happened to me this week. Hey, what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm a pastor. Conversation dead. Happened. I'm dead serious. I, I was talking to a guy outside the school this week, and we're getting to talk, and we're having a great conversation, and he's a fireman, and then I'm talking, and he says, oh, by the way, what do you do? I'm a pastor. Boom, conversation dead. Next day, I see him. Where'd the conversation go? Hey, man, I like to go running. And uh, for me, running on the hills and, and hiking, that's where I feel closest to God. And then people start to feel like they've got to talk to you about God. Uh, and they've got to feel like they've got to justify where they feel closest to God. That's what happens as a pastor. We have stigmas. So, uh, in fact, when I was living in Sugarland, I went on a ride along with one of the, uh, the cops there. And I was so grateful. I don't know why he chose to do this, but I was actually very grateful. He said, if it's okay with you, as we go around, I'm not going to introduce you as my, my Sunday school teacher or pastor. I'm going to introduce you as my friend. It's fine with me. And you know what? What happened is people would eventually ask me and then the conversation would go, and then they stop cussing and stuff. But you know what? <laughs> That's what happens. Like I've never heard cussing. I hear it every day. I mean, for crying out loud, I'm in the military, right? You hear cussing, right? It doesn't bother me. But that's what we do. So what I'm saying is you have the opportunity to reach people that we could never reach because people don't have a stigma with you like they do with us. Our job, our role, our biblical job description as pastors and teachers is that we equip the saints to do the work of service. We equip you to be able to go and live out what you believe, share what you believe with others, come alongside you and partner with you as you do that. But so often, too many people just sit back and say, I got them to church, now you do your work. And it doesn't work like that. But if followers became fishers, if growth went deep, then growth would also go wide. And maybe we'd start seeing God start to save more people because you know what? as they see your life impacted by the gospel, as they see you living out what you believe in your workplaces over time, as they see you interacting with your family, with your coworkers, with your employees, with your boss, they're going to see something's different about you. And through a relationship, they're going to ask questions. Or through a relationship, you're going to get an opportunity to talk with them about what's important to you, about what you believe. And that may be, an opportunity for you to say, you know what, would you like to come to church with me? That's perfectly appropriate. Uh, don't hear me wrong. What I'm not saying is don't invite people before they're saved. Not at all. What I'm saying is don't invite people and call that evangelism. Don't invite people and then expect the pastor to be the only one doing the work or the Sunday school teacher to be the only one doing the work. Invite people and plan to invest in them. Plan to build a relationship. And so when we talk about growth, it means going deeper so that followers become fishers, but it also means going wider that because we want to see God save people. You know what happened in the early church for people who don't like number growth? 3,000 people saved in one day. All of a sudden, a church of 120 went to 3,000. If that happened today, we'd be, we'd be suspect. But in the early church, a church of 120 went to 3,000 all in one day, and it was all new converts. It wasn't sheep stealing because there's no sheep to steal. It was the first church. 
We want to see that kind of growth. Not necessarily 3,000, but God saving people. And we want to see you investing and inviting people. And we want to see you pouring your life into people and living your life in front of people and then sharing what's important to you. Because growth means also going wider. And it starts with sharing the gospel. It does. You cannot make disciples without first sharing the gospel. But the, the third element is in verse 20 there. So, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And then what are you supposed to do with those disciples? You're supposed to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then 20, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. What happens instead too often is we start teaching people who have not been saved how to obey the commands of Scripture, and it doesn't work. Instead, what you get are the kind of people that Jesus spoke most harshly about in the New Testament when he came on. Those people who were outwardly compliant, they knew how to act, they knew how to speak, but inwardly they were corrupted. Inwardly, they were just as far as God as anyone else. If you don't start with making a disciple at sharing the gospel, if a person has not yet believed, there's really not a whole lot of purpose and intent in trying to teach them to obey because all we do then is a disservice to the church. We teach people how to behave in the church. We teach people what they're supposed to do and say and what they're not supposed to do and say. That's not what we want. We want people who obey out of a relationship out of love and out of a desire. We want people to, to become disciples, and as, we're, as they become disciples, as they, as they place their trust in the, in the gospel, we want them to then grow in that understanding. How does the gospel change my life? How does it change the way I treat my parents, my wife, my husband, my kids? How does that change everything I do? Instead, what happens too often is we just start with, here's what you're supposed to do. Learn this, and you'll get it. And it's backwards. It's backwards. But he says, baptize them. After a person places their trust in the gospel, baptize them. It's not a suggestion. It's an expectation. And so we're talking about water baptism here, and, and churches have gone, kind of gone on two extremes, right? They've been on one, one extreme where they say uh, to, to water baptize someone is necessary in order for them to be saved. So they've got to hear the gospel, they've got to believe it, and then you've got to put them in some water, and then they're saved. Well, as a reaction to that, churches on the other end of the spectrum underemphasize water baptism because we don't, wanna, we don't want people to think that you have to be baptized to be saved. After all, there is that one example of the thief on the cross where he didn't get to be baptized and he was clearly saved. And so we underemphasize it and we make it like it's a suggestion. But water baptism is not a suggestion. Jesus says, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teach them to obey. Bap water baptism is that, is that opportunity for you to uh, publicly proclaim as someone who has already placed your trust in Christ what you've done. It's that opportunity for you to stand before a group of people who are going to hold you accountable and who you're going to be holding accountable as you've entered a family and you say, this is what I've believed. This is what I'm now following, who I'm now following. Jesus says, baptize them. There's no suggestion in the way he said it. But because of those two extremes, uh, I, I think our tradition, our circle, has underemphasized that. We don't need to underemphasize it, and we don't need to apologize for Jesus not making it a suggestion. If you place your trust in Christ, get baptized. It's not necessary for your salvation. It won't add anything to your salvation, but it is that step of being a, a disciple. It's publicly proclaiming what you believed, and now you are walking with the family and being held accountable. And you're holding others accountable as we grow together. Baptize them. 
he says. And so just a note about baptism. There, if your story's like my story, I was baptized when I was a baby, and then I was confirmed in the church when I was in seventh grade, and then I hit college and I realized, man, none of those times was I ever a believer. And none of those times did I ever make that decision to be baptized. And so I got baptized as a college student because that was the first time that I understood, hey, I've placed my trust in Christ and this is what I'm now doing as a result of that. I'm publicly proclaiming that to you. And so we had some of that happen here and maybe that's your story and it's perfectly okay to go and get baptized even though you've been saved for 20, 30 years if you've never been baptized as a believer. If that's something you're interested in, let's visit. Let's talk about that. If you're a person who's placed your trust in Christ recently and you want to talk about baptism, let's talk about that. Let's talk about what that looks like. When, when's a good time to do that? Because part of growing means making disciples and part of making disciples means being baptized and then Jesus goes on and says, and teach them. Teach them to obey all I've commanded you. Teach them to follow me. And so what you've got is a cycle, right? So you've got a, a, a fish, someone who's not placed their trust in Christ, fish. They now, they now place their trust in Christ, and so now they're growing as a follower of Jesus. And then that follower who's grown, they become a fisher, and they catch more fish, and then you bring them in, and it's a cycle. And that's how God intended it is that his followers become fishers. And that's not really a foreign concept for us because think about the, the, the successful businesses or uh, companies where you buy products from. A, a lot of times the most successful uh, businesses, the most effective marketing they do is they let you hear from a satisfied customer, right? Because they know it's one thing for the, the business owner, the CEO, to get up and say, hey, you should buy this car. But it's one, another thing to see, to see underneath that not, uh, not an actor, real person, right? And you can tell that because they're not really acting very well, right? And they're just kind of staring in front of you. But they tell you, man, I love their service. Uh, I love this product. And that kind of builds more credit, more, more, uh, more, more weight, right? It's not a foreign concept. I'm not trying to reduce sharing the gospel and, and becoming a fish to a marketing ploy. But we kind of get that concept that, hey, when you hear about other people who have done, from other people who have done it or been there and gone there, it's a whole lot more effective, I think God knew that. And I think God wanted to put on display people who were dirty and who were lost and who were unlovely and unclean, who got cleaned up by his love, and then he puts them on display and says, see what I can do? No one is beyond this. Because some of the people you know who may be sitting in this room, you're going, I can't believe they're a believer. I can't believe they're a Christian. Some of you, that's your story, right? If people only knew my background, and that's exactly what God wants to do. Not so you glorify your background, but that you can be able to say, hey, this is who I was. This is, this is how bad things had gotten. This is how ugly I was. But God was rich in mercy, and he didn't hold it back for me. And this is how I've changed because of that. That is more effective when you share your own story, when you bring your own background to bear. And I think God knew that. So we say growth, and, and, and what we're talking about is not just numerical growth. Because a church can absolutely be healthy and never grow in number. It's a lot of things that play into that, right? It depends on what, what you've got surrounding you, uh, what kind of towns, what kind of people. Uh, I mean, all of that comes into play. But if we're growing deeper, if we're growing in our relationship with the Lord, and, and as a follower, we become a fisher we should start to see some growth. 
And it, and it shouldn't just be sheep-stealing type of growth. And, and like I said, if, if you're coming from another church, hey, that's fine. We're, we're glad you're here. We're not saying go back to your church. But what I'm saying is our intent as a church is not to manipulate you into staying here if you've got a good church you're already plugged into. We're not going to go and try to convince you to leave a good church so that you can come to ours, which is better. If God's leading you here, we want you to be here. If God is, if God is leaving, leading you out of that church, and leading you here, that's fine. We want you to be here. But the way we're going to go about it is we're not going to go and try to steal from Charlie Blount. We're not going to go try to steal from Ronnie Fields. We're not going to go and try to steal from any of those pastors or churches and pit ourselves against them. That's not what we're interested in doing. And, and, and if you hear anything like that coming out of this church, or if we hear anything like that coming out of this church, we want to deal with that because we're partners. If we placed our trust in Christ, we are all partners in this. And if someone's going to their church, praise God. We may not believe everything the same, but you know what? Praise God they're plugged into a church over there. And if they're growing, praise God. What we want to see is the type of growth that as we go deeper, as we grow as followers, then God uses us as fishers. And he starts saving people through you, through me. And we start seeing people come to this church who have been away from the church for years, who have, who have never been in a church, or maybe they've been sitting in their church their whole life and they never understood that God loved them so much that he sent Christ to die for them. And they never understood what that was. They've heard that, but they've never, never believed that. Now, all of a sudden, you've got a person who knew how to act like they belonged in church, who knew how to talk like they had been in a church. All of a sudden, now they're alive. We want that kind of growth. And we want to see God do that through you and through us as a church. Growth is important to us. And we understand that when we grow deeper, we'll also grow wider. As we deepen our roots, we'll also widen our reach. And both are necessary in order to be a healthy church. We must go deep and we must go wide. So Father, um, God, would you make up for the, the areas where I lack this morning? Let your spirit take your word and apply it. God, I know there are so many barriers that can come up with a message like this where numbers are a part of the discussion. But God, would you open our eyes to, to see that just because something is abused doesn't mean we have to avoid it altogether. We take a lot of good things we take a lot of the things that you have given us for enjoyment, a lot of things that you have given us for growth, and we abuse them because we manipulate them for our benefit, our selfish benefit. But God, would you bring us back to that middle where we're, where we're wrestling with that tension of walking with you and living in this world? God, would you help us to be a church that is not just driven by growing in size, because God, we don't want the size if we're not growing deeper. Might as well just close the doors if we don't grow deeper. But God, let us grow deeper first. Would you, would you help us to continue to grow deeper in our understanding of you and of your love and, uh, and of who you are and who you say we are and what you've done? And God, would that change us so that we live differently in front of others? And as we do that, God, would you be pleased to use us to share the gospel, to bring people to a church where they see people who are treating one another like Christ loved. And they see, man, that's different. Even in, even in their own family, they don't see people love like that. God, that's what we want to see. We want to see you draw people to Christ.
for the sake of your glory, not of our own. Pray that in Christ's name. Amen. And with that, let me say this to you. Your God has moved toward you. He has acted on his love for us. And so now go with boldness and get your nets ready and fish so that others would be able to know about the great love that God has lavished on us. And do it in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.